0: Greetings. My name is Griffin Schaefer. And my
1: name is Scott Peterson.
0: And this is episode 119 of Inside Quizzing.
1: A podcast about Bible quizzing for folks who love the Bible.
0: And in this episode 119, Scott and I are going to talk about deep philosophy things related to quizzing. So it's, trust me, it's going to be really interesting. At least I hope so. At least in the pre-show discussions uh, Scott and I were having, it was very interesting. So um, I'm, I'm regretting that we didn't hit the record button a little bit sooner than we than we did. But welcome to the conversation uh, already in play. So this all kind of revolves around one particular issue that was lodged in the rulebook uh, or logged, I don't know, submitted in the uh, quizzing rulebook uh, GitHub. And so if you want to, you can take a look at that uh, GitHub issue and read through and comment if you will. Um, the uh this is less about that particular issue and more about the philosophy surrounding or that gets triggered by that particular issue. And so we're going to kind of jump around a little bit and then we'll actually hit that particular issue and then just kind of from there fork off into a thousand different directions. Uh Scott has done a rather magnificent job of actually putting together a possible patch for this particular rule issue uh, that's in the rule book. But I think... And I definitely wanna get to that, but I think uh, what's fascinating are all these sort of tangential philosophical discussions that branch from this sort of core point. So let's kind of dive in. So to sort of set the stage, I I wanna share two concepts and then ask a question. And then from there, we'll just kind of see where things go. So the first thing is, I want to introduce you to uh, two things. Uh, Each of them are, for lack of a better term, a Christian myth. And what I mean by that phrase, Christian myth, is something that a lot of Christians, or at least some number of Christians believe, that isn't, doesn't really exist in the Bible anywhere. Like, like I hear people talk about it and kind of reference it, but like, I can't find any reference to this sort of thing in scripture. And therefore I question whether it's just something that we believe in will not believe, but some do. And we talk about, but it doesn't really connect with anything real. So if you think of Uh, Christianity being analogous to quizzing, quizzing has a rule, book. Christianity has the Bible, right? Um, The Bible is our, you know, a a good source of truth, um, arguably the best source of truth. And so if I can't connect something to the Bible uh, when it comes to Christianity, then I start to have some question marks form in my head at minimum as to whether or not that's actually a thing. So let me share these two Christian myths to sort of set the set the stage. Maybe you've heard some of these. The first one is God won't give you anything you can't handle, right? God won't give you anything you can't handle. I, I can't find anything in scripture that actually says that uh, anywhere. Another one is uh, that I've heard is uh, Jesus will fight all my battles uh, or Jesus will fight my battles for me. Uh, something along those lines. Again, I haven't seen scripture that, that supports that, uh, anywhere. These things might be true. Uh, I'm not saying they're not true, but I'm saying I can't find anything in the Bible that actually gets me to say like, yep, I can confirm that that's, that's connected to something in scripture or, or can be derived logically, uh, directly from scripture. So when it comes to Christian myths, uh, both, you know, simple kind of slogans like these things and other sorts of, Christian myths that we need to, you know, take back to scripture and say, well, is that actually true? Can we find something in scripture to actually support that? I'm thinking in quizzing, there's an analogy here where, like, are there practices that we do, uh, let's say tribal customs that we do, that aren't actually in the rule book anywhere? Um, and does that matter? So, a question that Scott before the the show I hit the record button on the show uh Scott posed the question are we okay with poorly written rules that are tribally maintained in a consistent good way in other words are there things that we do in quizzing at quiz meets that are m- either poorly written rules or not rules at all but we do them reasonably correctly we do them consistently in a good way are we okay with those things not being codified in a rule book are we okay with them being codified in a rule book but in a poorly uh, written way or even in you know a contradictory way to what we do um and so i think from there i'll stop and say so scott uh chime in here what what did i miss and
1: what are your thoughts on that first hypothetical i think it's a good hypothetical i think i would to give people a concrete example, I would use the made-up, a made-up thing, which is what if the rulebook didn't say that correct questions were 20 points? Um, and yet, even though the rulebook doesn't say that, everyone just always scored correct questions 20 points. Would we be okay with that language not actually existing in the rulebook? Um, because the outcome is what we like. It's both the outcome and um, it's consistently applied. Um and i think we would we would try to look at are there other ways that it might be um not optimal um say for somebody new to quizzing that has never um experienced a 20 point correct question and who shows up and is like hey why is it being scored 20 points and then nobody would really have a you know is 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 that a bad outcome right um or is it enough in that scenario for everyone to be like oh it's just always been 20 points and that's what everybody does
0: Right, exactly. And so this kind of leads into the, you know, running down this philosophical tree a little bit. It kind of runs into the purpose of the rulebook. Is the purpose of the rulebook for for people to use as a reference who already know quizzing, or is it to be used by people who don't really know that much or hardly anything about quizzing and want to understand how things are supposed to be, right? Uh, without being, let's say, tribally indoctrinated. I would argue that both of those things are true. Like like we want the rule book to be something that people who are very familiar with quizzing use as a reference to ensure that we don't have, let's say, implementation drift of, of different rules uh, within certain cultures. So as, as an example, uh, Latin languages all start out as Latin, and then they start to fracture because people in certain areas, let's say southern France versus uh, Catalonia versus say Italy versus uh, I don't know Carthage. I, I for, forgive my my historical uh, ineptitude here, but because they tend to be isolated from each other, they uh, slowly change the language over time until eventually you have. Uh, French and Spanish and Italian. So you have different languages getting uh, uh, used because of sort of local non-connection to others, right? So if you've got a rule book that has, let's say gaps in specificity, you're going to have, you're going to need to rely on custom and tribalism to be able to fill in those gaps. If you're constantly quizzing all together, let's say internationally, this is not that big of a deal. Uh, but again, it can cause in separation drift, and we see this at the district level, where you know one district implements quizzing one particular way, a different district implements quizzing a different uh, way, and we've generally been pretty okay with that. We're like, yeah, that's totally fine. Uh, we're even we even go so far as to say if your if your district wants to overrule a section of the rule book and just do it completely differently than what the rule book says that's totally fine. Nobody has a problem with that. The issue then is when we get the district's all together at internationals or others in or some other sort of interdistrict meet, the rule book then is the codified list of things that we agree ahead of time. This is how we're going to do stuff. So if we had, let's say, normal questions getting answered correct are 20 points. We have if we have that information missing from the rule book and we all show up to the meet believing, yeah, it should be 20 points on a question, well it's okay. There's not really that big of a deal for those of us who were coming to the table with some sort of prior experience of 20, uh, 20 point questions. But the district out of Nevada that's never quizzed with anybody before and has a copy of the rule book and tried implementing it and implemented seven points for a correct answer because they didn't really know what it should be. Then they show up to IBQ and they're like, oh, this is, this is different. Now, again, is it a big deal? Eh, it's probably not a big deal. But again, I think we want the rulebook to serve multiple purposes. And one of those purposes is being some a, a tool that we can provide to people who know nothing about quizzing or are have very, very minimal quizzing experience, and they can learn with specificity the, the completeness of what quizzing is all about.
1: Right. And I think I intentionally picked a pretty dumb hypothetical. The, let's say, 20 points for a correct question was not in the rulebook because for all of us who are very experienced in quizzing um something that doesn't exist in the rule book but that we all do um is going to feel that way right like how could anyone think differently or not know that this is the way to do it because that's all that we know and it's continually reinforced because that's all that we witness
0: yeah exactly exactly well what's the next step in this uh philosophical thread then
1: um that's a good Good question. Do we want to like talk about what we're talking about?
0: (laughs) Yeah. So let let me, let me go through the actual issue itself. And I mean, this is, this is one particular issue. Uh, It's, it's on the GitHub uh, repository, so you can read it for yourself if you want to and comment on it if you want to. And yeah, this, this issue is inspiring the rest of this conversation, but it's a It's bigger than this issue, right? This is a bigger philosophical thing of like, what do we want the rulebook to actually be and do? And how do we want it to function? Is tribal custom acceptable as a substitute for actually writing things in the rulebook? And I don't, I don't think it is because it limits the rulebook to something that can only be used by people who are already involved in quizzing which is not great in terms of growing quizzing, uh, and that's something that we need to care deeply and desperately about because uh, quizzing is, is you know, shrinking every day. Um, but I mean, at the, on the flip side of things, if we want to patch everything and be absolutely explicit in the rulebook, how do we do that in such a way that the rulebook doesn't become 300 pages long? Because again, let's say you have a, a beautifully perfect non-space found non absent found rule book right and it's 300 pages and it's beautiful and it's classically written and it's elegant and there are no mistakes whatsoever and no you know holes in the logic whatsoever uh, well, a 300-page rule book is not exactly accessible to somebody in Nevada who's never heard of quizzing, right? And and sorry to pick on Nevada, I'm just I'm just picking someplace like far away from geographically far away from any other sort of quizzing that's going on right now. So, you know, Arizona, Nevada, Southern California, somewhere in that ballpark is the furthest I think geographically in the U.S. and Canada away from from quizzing right now. Maybe Alaska, maybe Alaska wins. I'm not sure. Anyway nevada or alaska people in nevada and alaska how would you know are they going to actually sit down and read a 300 page rule book i i I doubt it um uh, not without sufficiently large motivation uh behind it and of course you don't exactly have a lot of motivation to learn about quizzing unless you've experienced quizzing and then you have the motivation so there's all kinds of chicken and egg stuff going on here. So anyway, I'm going to stop babbling on the philosophy stuff and get to the specifics. So uh, looking at the rule book uh, issue, this is issue uh, 111 or 111, if you prefer, or 111. And it reads as follows. And I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to hit some of the major highlights here. But consider the verse Matthew eight twenty. 20. Uh, so in the NIV, uh, 2011, Jesus replied, foxes of hens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Okay. And if you want to, you can just focus in on the first part of Jesus's words there. Foxes have dens, birds have, and birds have nests. Okay. So let's say there is a, an interrogative standard interrogative question in the form of what have nests, right? So the answer is birds, birds have nests, right? Fine. But What if a quizzer uh, responds, and I quote, foxes have dens and birds have nests, right? Well, this illustrates a fundamental problem, I think, with our rule book as it's currently written, because we don't have anywhere in the rule book a concept of quoting versus answering. Right? We there's we we interpret all responses. At least, if we're strictly following the rule book, we we should interpret all responses as answers, right? Not as quotes. And if we're strictly following the rule book the quizzer responding with foxes have dens, they are immediately incorrect. Foxes is an incorrect answer. The, the answer is birds have nests, not foxes have dens and birds have nests, right? And now, of course, that's a strict interpretation of the current rulebook. However, basically 0% of quizmasters in a scientific study that I just made up in my head would rule that way. Right, one hundred percent of quiz masters and one hundred—I would think one hundred percent of coaches in the in the same way—are going to say no. That is a perfectly acceptable answer. The quizzer responds, "Foxes have dens and birds have nests. That is correct because the quizzer is quoting rather than providing an answer." And I'm and what I and. You could say you could argue the semantics of like, well, the answer is the quote of the of that particular part of the quote, and I'm like, eh, okay, we're playing semantics there, right? Ultimately, well,
1: what? even more. Well, I mean, it's also muddied by the fact that um, you don't even have to use the word answer, right? Like response. Um, yeah. Well, no, a quizzer can't give you incorrect information, right? Um, so I think a lot of quizmasters would justify their ruling using the current rulebook language language saying the phrase foxes have dens is i do not deem that to be incorrect information. Sure. And so the, right and they're not they're not making they're not using the word answer, right? They're not saying it's an incorrect answer because i deem it an answer. Right, right.
0: And so then you might say, okay, well, maybe it's based on the quizzer pausing for a little bit, right? So if a quizzer uh, jumps and just simply says, foxes have dens and birds have nests, right? There is not a quizmaster alive, as far as I know. There's not a coach alive, a quizzer, a captain alive, who would say that that should be counted incorrect. I mean, that's clearly a correct response, right? Um, but what happens if the quizzer responds foxes? and pauses, and they pause for like 15 seconds. And then they say, have dens and birds have nests. Well, they answered foxes, they didn't respond birds. Foxes is a wrong answer to what have nests because foxes have dens and birds have nests, right? And so then you say, okay, okay, well, it really depends on the length of the pause, right? If they say foxes have dens, birds have nests, no pause, then they're fine. But if they pause for twenty seconds, they're incorrect. All right, fine. But if you agree with that, then where's the cutoff? Like two seconds, four seconds, one second, one and a half seconds? Like what is what is considered what is what is the right way to rule on that? Where's the determination of it's a pause that
1: changes this from an answer to a quote, right? I, Ultimately I think, I think that's the crux, right? Right. Is right now um, almost every quizzer either knows the answer and either says birds or foxes have dens and birds have nests um, or a quizzer doesn 't know and is guessing and will give you like one word at a time and both of those are kind of at the extremes of the time delay or the pause as you say which right. which is what makes it easy quote unquote for quizmasters to rule on it but if an enterprising quizzer was like, hey, I'm not really sure between these two, but I know that if I just stand up and I go, foxes, 1-1000, one, have dens, and birds have nests, if I pause just long enough so that a quizmaster might start to count me correct, but pause short enough that I can claim that I was giving more information, um, then I can basically have my cake and eat it too.
0: Exactly. And then of course, to complicate things even further, what happens if I say the words out of order? Foxes' dens have and birds' nests have. Am I correct or incorrect? Well, to what degree am I allowed to scramble those words to the point where I'm not correct anymore? Birds have dens and foxes have nests. Am I correct or incorrect? I've said all the right words, I've just said them out of order. Um, at some point we cross a line into incorrect, but that line is extremely fuzzy, but here's the problem with this. And this is where, where we're really getting to virtually, actually, I wouldn't even say virtually I, w- I would go so far as I, I almost, I, I usually try to couch my terms, but here I'm going to go full on and say, I don't know of a single quiz master or answer judge or coach anywhere who would have trouble like Adjudicating or answering this particular situation, right? Um, the problem is none of that is relevant. There's nothing in the rule book that allows a quizmaster to discern, or an answer judge for that matter. There's nothing in the rule book that allows the quizmaster or answer judge to discern the difference between quoting versus answering, and there's nothing in the rule book that allows a quizmaster to discern the length of a pause as having something to do between quoting versus answering, providing additional information or not, right? So then it's like, well, do we care, right? Is this something we should care about, right? And then of course, that's really kind of leans us back to that philosophical question. Tribal custom that doesn't exist in the rule book uh, but is not something that actually causes anyone to do anything non-standard, uh, non-uniform, non-fair, in a non-consistent, non-good way, do we care, right? Um, the argument could be made, and I can totally see this argument, if the rulebook is intended for people who are in quizzing, who have already been sort of uh, initiated into the tribe of quizzing, then maybe we don't care. If there is absolute uniformity across all of quizzing Tribal custom, maybe we don't include something in a rule book that way, right but again we we add an awful lot into the rulebook that is universally understood that nobody has any question about uh, because I believe we want our rule book to be something that can propagate on its own, and this would be something I would con- contend is at the heart of something that breaks quizzing if divorced from tribal custom
1: and when you say breaks quizzing if divorced from tribal custom, what is, I mean, I guess, can you just pedantically take it to the logical extension that you're envisioning?
0: Right. So let's say there's, let's say somebody in Nevada or, uh, Alaska to pick on Nevada and Alaska again, let's say one of, uh, somebody there decides to, uh, spin up quizzing and all they have is a copy of our rule book. They they uh certainly have our, you know, support from a distance. Uh so I mean if they emailed us questions, we would happily answer their questions. But ultimately we would point them to a rule the rule book and say, here, use this rule book. And so let's say somebody uses the rule book and they implement quizzing and this kind of question comes up and they look into the rule book and they say, well, how do I determine how to respond to this sort of scenario? They don't know that it's a, a super obvious duh for all of us who have been initiated into the tribal custom of quizzing, and they're going to look at that and say, "Well, I don't know how to rule on this. Um, how do I how do I deal with this?" And I would contend if they are reading the rulebook strictly, that is to say that they they don't know one way or the other. Therefore, they are reading the rulebook as the only source of truth, because that's all they have, they're going to actually do something that is wildly different than what we do normally ourselves at like virtually every quiz meet in quizzing. So in virtually every quiz in quizzing, the quiz master or answer judge discerns quoting versus answering, even though none of that exists anywhere
1: in the rule book as something that, that they can do. So can I try to be maybe even more pedantic? Sure, sure. It's it's I I agree that a quizmaster is determining quoting versus answering but it's almost the quizmaster is determining what like they get to they're picking the cutoffs of the quizzer's response that they get to evaluate at a time would you agree with that
0: yeah yeah potentially i think ultimately what it is is we're we're basically saying that in absence of patching this and maybe other issues like it in the rulebook, we must grant the quiz master and answer judge latitude to discern things that the rulebook doesn't actually grant them the latitude to do. And then the question becomes, well, okay, are, are we okay with that? Maybe we are, right? And to be able to say, right. you know... That's that's fine, but then you have to be okay with the notion of Nevada quizzing is going to operate substantially different than say, you know, Pennsylvania or, you know, Pacific Northwest quizzing or whatever, right? Like sorry. I'm just I'm trying to think of like all the other quizzings, right? The 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 you know, CMD quizzing and West Can quizzing and all the quizzings, right? Um, not to pick on any one or or set of 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 districts or anything. So do we care? And it's like I think we I think we need to if our goal is to grow quizzing because ultimately let's say Nevada gets the quizzing spark and grows quizzing and it's and it's growing really well and then we're like okay great let's have internationals in Las Vegas, right? Or something like that. I don't know, some place in in or or um Tombstone, Arizona or so. I don't know, pick a pick a place down there. And Nevada is the one hosting the quiz meet, and they're the ones implementing the rules. And so they have a quoting is not a thing. And the Quizmasters answer judges are not allowed to accept quotes. They can only accept answers and all of us show up and we're like, wait a minute, that's okay. You can't count me incorrect by saying, for saying foxes have dens and birds have nests. And it's like, okay, well again, is this the end of the world? No, there's a meet director who then adjudicates and resolves it and we move on. But ultimately, is the point of the rule book to remain sloppy and have meat directors solve this? Or is the goal of the rulebook to be something that is easily consumed by non-quizzing introduced people who will then implement quizzing that is more or less equivalent to how we implement quizzing?
1: Right. So the kind of breaking quizzing that you envision is just the extraordinary overhead um, and introduced from, like, um, differing expectations?
0: Well, in practical application, sure. I guess philosophical is not the right word, but for lack of a better term, uh, it philosophically breaks quizzing right now because we have a rule book that says we should operate via method A, but we actually don't operate via method A. We operate via method B, right? Um... And it's like, well, okay, is that a big deal? As long as Nevada never starts quizzing, is this a a particularly big deal? We all agree that we operate via B and we do B, and there is like basically, if not absolutely 0% chance that B is not the thing that we do, even though the rule strictly read and interpreted says A. Um, I find that frustrating, um, but uh, maybe others are okay with that.
1: Now, are we assuming that if the rulebook doesn't say you can do something, then you can't? I think we kind of have to, to some degree, right? So here's kind but, of the interesting
0: but do thing, But right? do, you,
1: do you think people would agree with you?
0: I don't know. I don't know. Because like, like, here's the thing. What happens if somebody, let's say this exact scenario, Matthew 820 shows up at, a, at internationals and the response is foxes have dens and birds have nests. And somebody challenges and says, you can't find anything in the rule book that allows you to count them correct. What does the answer judge and the quizmaster do at that point?
1: Well, I think the official would just say like, well, the answer is correct when it contains the information requested. And they gave that to me. And I don't sure. deem them to have violated anything or done anything um, under incorrect response.
0: Sure. But then to your example, uh, what if the quizzer responds, foxes, dot, 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 and waits for 20 seconds and you count them incorrect because foxes is an incorrect answer. The answer is birds. And then they're like, wait a minute, you should have given me the remainder of my time because I was just providing additional
1: information. Right. See, that would be a lot stronger to me. That, 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 That side of it. But I think I think it's helpful to break down what probably all of us as officials are doing when we hear that response, right? If we hear foxes have dens and birds have nests, we are deciding that we are not going to evaluate the word foxes um, apart from everything else, right? Right. Um, Probably for reasons of the quizzer is saying other stuff that we know to be... A, f- a phrase that contains foxes in the material, right? Right. Mm-hmm. right. Um, similarly, we're not going to take the longer phrase, foxes have dens, and evaluate it, right? Foxes have dens, have nests. Somebody could say that that's incorrect, but we're like, no, that's a phrase that exists in the material in context, and they said that phrase correctly, and we're using that logic as a reason to not count someone incorrect at the- at that point. But I think what your point is, is all of those reasons are they're not specifically granted. Exactly. Right. And I mean,
0: I've heard a lot of people say, but this is not an issue. Nobody no quizmaster, no answer judge, nobody has a problem adjudicating these responses. And it's like, yeah, I agree with you, but that doesn't mean it's not a problem. Um it's an inconsistent inconsistency in the rulebook. Um we are describing, you know, like I said, we're describing a pathway labeled A or procedure A for how we're going to handle something, but we're not actually doing that at all. We're in fact doing B, right? And the fact that we're all doing B and we're doing B consistently and reliably and in a good way, and arguably B is the right way is in fact a better outcome than, than actually following A. I, I, I tend to agree, I, I tend to agree with all of that, but the rule book still says A, right? And to me, it seems like we should change the rule book so that it says B. Since that's what we're doing.
1: Um, While I don't disagree with you labeling the two ways as A and B, I might soften it some because I think it is interpretation based, right? Like depending on, I mean, I think many would make the argument that they're just um, making a very reasonable definition of what constitutes incorrect information. And it's not like we're doing it different ways per se, right?
0: Yeah, sure. But I mean, then the pause issue comes into play, right? If I said foxes and just stopped and waited for 20 seconds, Scott as quizmaster, is going to count me incorrect. Right. But then I would challenge and you have no justification
1: for your ruling at that point. Right. Right. And so I think that's one of my better sum ups of the situation is we don't have a lot of quizzers answering with a pause in this gray area. And, it, and that reality makes it appear that this is a non-issue. Right. Yeah, that's very true.
0: One, So I'll, I'll mention one additional philosophical thing that sort of uh, colors this discussion. And then I really want to get to, I mean, obviously, if you have other things, Scott, go ahead. But I, I definitely want to get to your proposed rulebook patch to basically get us to a solution here, um, which feels really complicated to me, but maybe you can explain it in a way that is simple and my brain will understand but anyway before we get to that awesomeness I'm sure um, I want to talk about the concept of and I forget who said this first but this is a phrase that's been around forever and I'm sure it, it originated in Latin because it's that old and I, I don't know who said it first but the um, the phrase roughly translated in English is that battles are fought on the borders right or battles are on the borders um, In other words, when nations or nation states or whatever geographies go to war, they tend to go to war on on their frontiers, on their edges, because that's where the disagreement about like where the border should be, you know, kind of thing. Uh, Rarely is there a time, I mean, there's always exceptions in history, obviously (laughs) throughout history, Genghis Khan, great example, Hitler, you know, where, you know, the, the battle was not on the border it was let's take over the other country but generally where there are skirmishes when when say um madrid and paris agree that madrid is spanish and paris is french and that's totally in agreement nobody disagrees but exactly where the boundary is between say spain and france that comes into an argument that's where that's what they what they mean by these battles around the borders. And so generally speaking When you talk about treaties, treaties are to solve disagreements that are on the borders to prevent battles, right? So Spain and France agree, well, this is exactly where we're going to draw the line between these two countries. And thus we create an agreement between our two countries. Thus we have peace because that's where the border is. Similarly, sort of anecdotally then, lifting that concept into quizzing you could make the argument that the rule book is really just a a big treaty, right? And what we're really arguing about are the debates on the borders. And this particular issue is nowhere near a border because nobody does it differently, right? As far as I know. Um, And therefore, it's just sort of off everybody's radar as, as a result of that. If the rule book is a treaty about our borders, then sure, I think that's true, but then you sort of have to at least encircle the territory such that what you don't describe in the center is still considered accepted. So with that, I'll just be quiet for a while. And Scott, why don't you hit us with uh, your, well, I don't know, do you have any sort of response to that before you
1: drop into your awesome brilliance? I kind of have a, another devil's advocate since we're, using old quotes here, mm. um, which is difficult cases make bad law, right? Mm. Yeah, um, yeah. Mm. Which, to make up another hypothetical, if, if one day someone walked into a Kinko's, those don't exist anymore, um, a FedEx office um, with their pet raccoon and tried to make a copy of it, mm. well, maybe the FedEx office is like, hey, we should make a rule that says you are not allowed to photocopy raccoons, right? <laughs> but But... Right. Um, this is probably a very specific and difficult kind of case where making a law is not really going to solve anything, and it's not going to be terribly useful to do so. I don't know if that is a great example of diff- a difficult case making bad law, but I think what it's, what it's trying to say is, like, isn't there like, a, a city in Connecticut where you're not allowed to drive um, more than four times around the city roundabout? <laughs> you know, And it's like all of these laws arose because one crazy person decided to do a thing and we just assumed that the way to prevent that in the future is to make a law, right? Do Do you think that that principle has any application here, either oh, to, sure. yeah. to this ha- specific one or to just in general as we're trying to craft a rule book? I think in general,
0: absolutely. Um, the trouble that I've got in this particular scenario is the rule book, if strictly read, says to do the opposite of what we do right now. If the rule book. Strictly red was silent on the issue of raccoon uh, xeroxing. Then I might say, yeah, let's not write a rule to cover raccoon xeroxing because it's so incredibly out there. Or I might say, let's create a more general rule that says if really bizarro things happen, the quizmaster slash answer judge may. Uh, invent new rules, or I don't know, the meat director can ultimately invent new rules or something along those lines, right? Um, to cover the bizarre case of somebody bringing a raccoon to a quiz meet or something, right? But what we're, ta- what we're talking about here is something that is really at the core of quizzing. The fact that it just never happens is, it, or, or rarely happens doesn't really... Um, isn't really the issue, right? So, like, like I agree, I don't want to make rules about raccoons. But what we're talking about is we're operating with a rulebook that talks about how to handle raccoons, and we don't allow raccoons at a quiz meet. I mean, this is a terribly tortured analogy at this point, but you sort of get my my point, right?
1: I do now. I and I do. I I feel like it is a little harsh to say that the current rulebook. When, taking liter- when taken literally, does not allow us to do what we're currently doing. That feels that feels a li- like a, I, I don't know if I would take the interpretation of the current rulebook that far.
0: Right, you feel like I'm taking it a little bit too far in the extreme, and and that may be fair. But I would challenge you and and every listener to prove me wrong. Then find me some way in the rulebook that doesn't let me get there with the you know uh, uh, and you may have a point with the you know full on quizzer response in my initial example but then with the foxes dot 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 and a wait for 20 seconds how like and and you count them incorrect and i think absolutely justifiably so then how what prevents the quizzer from challenging and you having no basis to stand on
1: right and i i think Again, I've said this before, but it comes down to the determination of incorrect information. And if a quizzer stands up and says, foxes have dens and birds have nests, no quiz master would, would say that they've given incorrect information. But if a quizzer stands up and says foxes, and then at second 30 says birds, I think just about 100% of quiz master w- would say that, hey, when you said foxes at second one, um, that was incorrect information. But it shows that we are making a call on the... Um, like the timing of things, right? Right, right. Um, and again, the fact that usually we are presented with one of the two extremes of timing um, makes it seem like the rulebook's perfect. Not perfect, but like, like this is a non-issue. Um, so then I have another kind of interesting question. Um, let's say you have, to phrase it positively, an enterprising quiz- quizzer, um, probably somebody like me, who's like, hey, um, quizzers never answer with like a one to three second pause, I can do this and have multiple basically free guesses. Would you consider that to be like would you smile upon that quizzer? Would you frown upon that quizzer? Would you do something else?
0: I don't know that I would smile or frown. I mean what you're what you're talking about is a quizzer who doesn't have the material as well memorized as they should, because otherwise they, they just give you the right answer. And sure. what they're trying to do is find a loophole in the rules to be able to squeeze out a correct answer. So right. I have I have total respect for the rules hustle. I'm not a fan of the using it as a crutch to, to skimp on memorization, to skimp
1: on, on prep, oh, right? Okay, okay. So let me change the hypothetical slightly. Let's mm. say that I knew the entire material and could get it right every single time, but I wanted to highlight the gap in the rule book and just decided to guess like this every single time
0: right just because you wanted to poke the bear
1: poke the bear right would like obviously there's some limit of exploiting rules loopholes where you would say this is not against this undefined spirit that is against the undefined spirit of quizzing but i'm just curious where you where you would tend to like through what lens do you view these things right Right. I mean,
0: and it, it kind of depends on my role. Am I a quiz master yes. or an answer judge? Or am I the meat director? Because I think those are going to be, I mean, the difference between a quiz master and an answer judge, I think in this particular consta- context is pretty close to nil. But the difference between, so I'm just going to drop answer judge and say quiz master. But the difference between quiz master and meat director, I think is different bigger and different despite the fact that there's nothing in the rule book allowing me to say what i just said i will be completely <laughs> honest and and transparent and say i'm making something up here because there's nothing in the rule book that lets me actually point to this and say this is this is the truth. I think as a quiz master, I would be I would be getting increasingly annoyed, but I would strive really hard to not let on that I was getting annoyed. And I would try to continue to be as fair uh and and uh equitable um as I possibly could to that quizzer and all quizzers within the the context of the meet. Now if I had a chance, maybe after the day's quizzing was over, I might go have a chat with their coach, or I might actually probably more likely, given if my my role as a quiz master, I would probably go to the meet director and say, hey, this happened in my room, we may want to, you know... Have an announcement that maybe we shouldn't do that or, or something like that, right? Um, there might be some sort of way of, of, of getting around it. But as a quiz master, I think in the moment, my job is to try to be as fair as possible to treat each individual case as an individual case. Uh, and therefore, you know, if a quizzer has been annoying, many times up until the present moment, I cannot take that into consideration. I can only take into consideration what they're doing right now.
1: Right. All right. So should we move on to my solution? Yeah. Or let's potential this. Solution. Um, are there any definitions that we want to hit first? Like um, you kind of proposed it has to be one of two things. And I don't know if you want to define each of those two.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, we probably should a little bit so we've been using the words quoting versus answering um and we should probably describe what that means so answering the word answering in in the context of what we're talking about right here uh is the strict literal interpretation of what the rulebook currently says which is to say there's no such thing as quoting right quoting however is saying the, the quizzer is actually just quoting material. They're not providing a birds is the answer, but they're just reciting, you know, verse 20, that kind of thing. Um, so that's kind of what we mean
1: between the difference between quoting versus answering. And, um, let's say there was an interrogative, which was, you know, where the answer was Peter and we are using the always quoting definition and I just start naming proper names, all of which exist in the material, would you deem all of that to be quoting? Is context a thing or not? Let's say context is not a thing.
0: Yeah, so if context is not a thing, and you were just saying James, Luke, Jesus, Mary, and then you got to Peter, I'd be like, okay, he's just throwing about a throwing out a bunch of answers, right? Um, so if quoting was a thing, you're not actually quoting, right? So if quoting was a thing, to me, it's like, you gotta have like a couple three words or something, like there's gotta oh. be more there than just like a single word answer. But again, I'm totally making this up. There's nothing in the rule book that actually gives me that a, a way to adjudicate.
1: okay. Then I'm a little
0: confused because Uh-oh. i thought, I didn't need to confuse you.
1: um I'm trying to find where you we first talked about this, oh, in the chat logs, right. Uh, so like um for for the
0: sake of our listeners you should know that Scott and I and several other people talk about quizzing and quizzing rules all the time on Slack and various other forums and so like we just kind of we can scroll backwards in time and see pages upon pages upon pages of us debating and discussing various different rules and their implications and their and their outcomes.
1: Right. Okay, so I found where you said you're starting to believe that any solution will fall on one end of the spectrum, one of two ends of the spectrum. You can either solve it by saying, quote, a quizzer is always quoting, end quote, or you can solve it by saying, quote, a quizzer is always answering, end quote. And I thought I heard you just say, like, there's a scenario where you're deciding whether what the words that the quizzer is saying is quoting or giving you an answer.
0: Yeah, and this is this is, it's so, it's so, Convoluted by what the context, what the material actually says. So if there's a verse that says, um, John, James, and Luke were fishing and Peter was making a fire and somebody says, who was making a fire? And somebody just starts quoting the verse and it's like, well, they're just quoting, right? Even though all of the things they say before they get to Peter are incorrect, right? Um, so in the current world, I would have to count them incorrect, but we as long as I'm strictly enforcing the rules as written, but we don't do that because we would say oh they're just quoting, but again that sort of sets up this sort of condition of saying well uh, are all of those names within context. So if some and of course then we come to the the whole thing of like a single word can't pull you out of context, which yikes, right? So it starts to get really convoluted with multiple layers very very quickly.
1: Okay. So My solution tries to make the fewest possible changes to what we currently have in the rulebook and what we currently do. And my kind of base logic is, well, anything that a quizzer says in their 30 seconds, I'm going to try to use it to count them correct. Um, I don't get to make the judgment call. Like, if the answer is John, and they say a bunch of words, and it's clear they have no idea what the answer is, but they give me John... (laughs) Um I I feel like I have to count them right because I don't get to pass judgment and say like well it's obvious you don't know the material you shouldn't get this right. Um, and and pause here for a second. I agree
0: with you and the reason I I want to sort of so 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 a yes and on this one, right? Yes and Imagine the scenario where the quizzer gets up and says something like, um, I'm not really sure. Uh, James was telling me about the answer to this while we were driving to the quiz meet along with Mary and Beth and John. And what's the answer? Oh, I think it's John, right? Uh, where, right? Like no quizmaster is going to necessarily count you incorrect if the quizzer is sort of, let's say babbling information and thinking out loud, Right. And in the same way, though, if while they're babbling, there's a three-second pause, and then they say John, while they are still clearly thinking of the answer, there is nothing in the rule book where we can Regis Philbin our way to saying, is that your final answer, right? We, we right. have to sort of say, okay, well, they said the word John, so I got to count them correct.
1: Right. Um, but I'm kind of dealing with it pretty simply, right? Because you brought up the scenario of what if they jumble all the words around, Right? Mm-hmm, right um i don't want to get to that but basically anything you say in your 30 seconds can count you correct so i similarly feel like anything you say in your 30 seconds has to be able to count you incorrect you can't have it one way not the other right well, you could you you could but you would have to define the yeah, types you'd have of to things define it. Yeah. right but but as current we don't say right we just say like hey you have to give this stuff to be correct and if you do this stuff you're incorrect um oh. but it doesn't right <laughs> Right, right. It doesn't make any other lines in the sand. Um, and so my my way or proposal is basically, I think it, it in an essence codifies how we do it today, which is you let the quiz master make the decision whether um, a quizzer was kind of quoting a larger chunk of material to you or whether they gave you something that could be their answer. Um, and that lets you just dis- um, gives you chunks of material from the quizzer's response that you then use in order um, to decide correct or incorrect. So if in your example the quizzer gets up and says, um, so the question's what have nests and the quizzer says foxes. You know, they jump, they're identified, they say foxes and then they're silent um, and then at second 29 they say birds. So now that their 30 seconds have elapsed, You evaluate their information. They gave you foxes first and then birds. And they gave you those without any other connecting material. And so you evaluate them in order. You say foxes. Well, that's incorrect. And so we're done here. You're incorrect. In a different scenario, they jump and they say foxes at second one. And then at second 25, they say have dens. And then at second 29, they say nests. Or they say birds. So now once the 30 seconds are done, you say like, hey, they gave me foxes, but then they also said have dens, and that material connects. And so I will treat that as their first answer. And then then you can say, do I deem foxes have dens to um, to be incorrect information? And I would not consider that to be incorrect information at that point. I don't know if I would need additional language to make it so, but to me, they just correctly quoted material in context.
0: Sure. So then what happens if I miss some of the words? What if I'm quoting, but I drop the word and or the word have or something like that?
1: Right. And so I think you would definitely need to define what constitutes connecting material, right? Like how word perfect does it have to be? How many words does it have to be? And I think you can you get into some potentially not great situations there, right? Just like um, when we added the the infamous unique global unique word is required we also had to add the well one word can't automatically make you incorrect because we didn't want to force the quizzer to know the difference between i am and the contraction i'm that happens to be globally unique in john <laughs> right? right like similarly here if you objectively define oh this is a long enough phrase it could be that the quizzer gives you like a two word very of very significant words is not does not meet the threshold, but three consecutive words that are fairly inconsequential would, right? So like mm-hmm. I acknowledge that. But the key is you did, you have to define that connecting material somehow. Because then and the other key is you really can't rule the quiz correct or incorrect until their 30 seconds are done. Because a big key of my way is it never defines an acceptable or a not acceptable pause. It just says it doesn't exist, right? Like it evaluates the information that the quizzer gives you and like via these other means and the length of time between bits of information that you were given doesn't matter.
0: Yeah. And I think that's incredibly important. The length of pause can't be measured objectively. Therefore, we shouldn't rely on it, right? Right. Unless we want to take a, you know, an Alexander cutting the Gordian knot approach to this and say... Quizmasters slash answer judges are allowed to interpret that the quizzer is quoting instead of answering.
1: R- right. Um, another key point of or way that I would apply what I just proposed is: let's say the question is like, "Who the Baptist?" Um, terrible question, but the answer is John. And let's say in in context it says John was there in the city. Well, the quizzer jumps and on second one it says John. And on second, 25 says, was there in the city and says nothing else in their 30 seconds. Well, they're incorrect because they gave you a phrase, John was there in the city. And that's not, that's not the, that's not acceptable as the answer of John. Whereas if they had said just John and nothing else, well, again, I can't assume intent by the quizzer, right? Maybe they just didn't have enough time to say was there in the city, which would have then made them wrong. But in this case, all, all that they gave me was John. They are correct. Because you can't, yeah. you can't judge intent.
0: Yeah, but now I've got creepy crawly spiders all over my skin because like in that regard, like we've always sort of maintained this philosophical approach of the quizzer is correct before they're incorrect, right? So if you happen to be quoting, let's say it's a quote question, you're quoting Matthew eight twenty, and you get to, you know, no place to lay his head and then you move on to verse 20, uh, 21. We have always maintained, no, you're correct um, before you were incorrect, right? Or if it's a context right. thing, you were right. you were correct before you were out of context and therefore incorrect, right? The reason being is we didn't want to say like, well, you have to pause for you know exactly 1.3 seconds or greater after his head but, so that you can be counted correct, kind of stuff. So even if you trail into verse 21, you're you're fine. So then. In your scenario with with John the Baptist, right, if they say John and pause for two seconds and then say anything else, like I'm kind of sitting there going like, but I got to count them correct because they were correct before they were incorrect.
1: Right. But see, that's that's the key is if we don't want to define an acceptable or a not acceptable pause, I think this is how you have to do it, which means they could be correct and then later in their 30 seconds make themselves incorrect. Because but you, but I
0: but I don't think so, right? So let's say it's um uh, what was it? Who the Baptist, right? right was your right, question, right? right. So the, and then and it was John was in the city, right? So if they say if if I say who the Baptist and they say John was in the city, just like that, no pausing, no separation. John was in the city. I'm counting them correct. They said the word John
1: first, right. But I think because currently we're comfortable with quizmasters determining quoting versus answering, <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um we're implicitly we've Im- basically we can't say that they were correct before they're incorrect and not say that they were incorrect before they're correct in a different scenario, mm-hmm. right? Where right, they right. Said, where they said foxes is the very first word no pauses continuing on, right? Right. You can't do it both ways. I
0: agree, right? And this is why I think this issue is is a bigger deal than what a lot of people think it is, right? Because it, it calls into the implications of this, calls into question a great deal of how we, you know, philosophically look at questions and answers, right? Um, arguably, like... If we and this kind of goes back to my whole answering thing, if we if we truly go after the rule book, then a person who says John was in the city is correct because they said John first and they're correct before they're incorrect. And if they say foxes have dens and birds have nests, they're incorrect because they provided foxes. Um, We don't like the second outcome. But that is a natural consequence of, of a strict reading of the rules. If we change that to say, like, well, the, the you you could actually, I mean, you could, I'm not advocating this, but you could actually have your cake and eat it, too, in the sense of saying, well, the quizzer is correct before they're incorrect, and we give the quiz master slash answer judge the opportunity to interpret a quizzer as quoting. And and um, all in all cases, the quiz master answer judge will rule to the most benefit of will interpret to the most benefit of the quizzer, right? Um, so in this case, you know, John was in the city, they're correct. Foxes have dens and birds have nests, they're correct. Sure.
1: You could define it that way, right.
0: Right. And would I'm you, not saying we should, but at least that way would be explicit. It would be, you know, it would be stated in the rule book, right? Sure. And we could and we should actually we could say like, okay, it's uniform and we're doing what we're doing what we say we're doing in the rule book.
1: Sure. So in that scenario, it's like we care about pauses, but we're not going to define it, and we're just going to let the quizmaster decide.
0: No, I don't even. I don't even think pausing.
1: Right. So I mean, I would say
0: like if if a quizzer responds foxes dot dot dot, um, I kind of lean toward your. They're they're not wrong yet. So in other words, I'm, oh, a, I'm agreeing with your proposal.
1: It would right? be it would be lenient on both ends.
0: Right, it would be lenient on both ends to sure. basically say, sure. you know, the quizmaster has the opportunity to essentially we define what quoting is, right, in the context of say an interrogative or whatever, right. We we grant the quizmaster the power to interpret that the quizzer is quoting, right. Um, we should also by you know, a little asterisk here, we should also grant the quiz master the opportunity to uh, interpret that the quizzer is just babbling rather than providing an answer. Um, but but either way, we, 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 we grant the quiz master the opportunity to interpret that. And then we tell the quiz master, find, find in these ways a way to count the quizzer correct, right? To sure. the quizzer's benefit, right? Sure. Um, and to me, like, I think we actually do all of that Like, I think that's actually what we do right now anyway.
1: Yeah, I'm struggling on this John was in the city scenario where the answer is a proper name and the quizzer gives you the proper name in the context of a phrase and a word perfect phrase in context that is not the one you're asking about.
0: What if it's a phrase that's out of context? What if John was in the city is like two chapters away, but they said John first. So
1: they're correct. Right. And I think I'm trying to both think of like, how would I have ruled today? And is that technically allowable? Right.
0: And a lot of this comes down to, like, what's the mission here, right? Right. We want to try to encourage quizzers to memorize, and we want to try to encourage quizzers to jump, and we want consistent rules at all levels, right? So, ultimately, we're saying, like, yeah, if a quizzer jumps and says John was in the city, well, they got lucky that time, right? And... They are technically correct by the rules, and we might mention, like, yeah, that you know, that's actually out of context. But you said John first, so you're correct. You know, that's fine um, because I think at the end of the day, that that encourages mission,
1: right? I think the, the connecting material can definitely complicate things um, when the quizzers not word perfect, right? Oh, big time, yeah, big right. time. Because let's say the answer is who the Baptist? The answer is John, and the quizzer and John was in the city is a phrase from in context and the quizzer gets up and says peter was in the city. Well like mm, on one right. hand they're misquoting something so like i guess harder to say that they were quoting material cuz it wasn't word perfect but then that shouldn't allow them to cycle through incorrect guesses either. <laughs> right, exactly. Um and similarly in your what what have nests, right? If someone jumps and says birds have dens and foxes have nests. Well, it kind of feels like they're wrong 45 ways already, but I don't they know. Are wrong, but they are
0: wrong 45 ways, but they were right before they were wrong.
1: Right, which in our scenario, well, yeah. It's kind of weird because the lenient both ways means we judge kind of intent slash meaning for the quizzer um, one way, but, but then close our ears and go la, 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 la in the other scenario. <laughs> exactly, exactly.
0: Well, and I mean, Which could and be this the outcome the that thing. we want, Right. It might be because, I mean, ultimately, the goal is we want quizzers to memorize scripture and then to be able to quote it back. And ideally, we want them to be able to give us the right answer. Word perfect. No hesitations, no problems. And, you know, usually that happens. What we're what we're arguing about here are the borders, right? Like how where do we draw a line that that can determine when the quizzer is actually wrong. And the key thing is that line has to be, I I maintain, and I will, (laughs) you can write it on my gravestone when I die. Um, I maintain that our rules have to be objective, right? They can be messy and they can cause scenarios that we're like cringy at because we're like, oh gosh, I really hate that that ends up being that way. So like the exact scenario, right? Birds have dens and foxes have nests is just like, I'm I'm, I'm getting twinges of pain in my head by, by thinking that that would end up being a correct answer. But I, I got to lean toward, I feel like I've got to lean toward that being a correct answer if I'm going to be internally consistent. And the consistency and the objectivity of it is more important to me than having maybe a
1: more ideal solution. Interesting. I think most people would disagree with you.
0: I think most people would, right? Um, but I mean, this is the thing, I'm fine with any set of, well, that's not entirely true. I am generally okay with wider variance in rules, as long as those rules are consistent and objective and clearly defined, right? Um, what what bugs me are rules that are inconsistent or like we say we do one thing and we're doing something else. Um, that to me needs to get patched up. And I mean, again, bad case law, right? Or bad, uh, edge cases make bad case law, right? So, or whatever the quote was that you said, how many times is a quizzer going to say birds have dens and foxes have nests?
1: Like it's, it's, it's probably not going to be terribly often. Um, probably not. This is all just so fascinating to me because I think there's, you know, a bunch of really abstracted generic topics that we kind of have to decide on to make a call on this one. Right. Yeah. 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 Big time. Big time. I'm trying to think of, we didn't really touch on um, non-material words in a response much. Do we care to touch on that at all? We probably should. I mean, just to
0: be complete about it. And so what we're talking about here with non-material words is, um, and and this is sort of the question of like context. We have right now this concept of context, but if a quizzer gets up there and says, oh, I know this, I know this. Uh, Mary was telling me about this verse on the road trip here. Well, okay. Are they out of context? What if, what if it wasn't, what if I didn't say road trip, but I said on the journey here and on the journey is a three word key phrase from that's out of context, right? What if that phrase is two chapters away? Uh, Do we count them incorrect? Uh, But even more interesting is what if they start quoting something? Let's say we're, we're, we're quizzing in Hebrews and they start quoting Matthew or vice versa. Right. Like, are they out of context? Like at what, what is, what does out of context mean? Like I've always interpreted context to mean I have to find something that they said that appears in the material that we're quizzing in that is not within the verse plus or minus of whatever context we're dealing with for the question type. But that starts to open up all kinds of questions. And is that a tribal custom? Is that defined in the rule book?
1: Because that's not how I interpret it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, How do you interpret it?
1: Not in this context.
0: So literally, so if I jump and I say, oh, wait, Mary was telling me about this. I'm wrong.
1: So, and this is where I am inconsistent for the sake of the quizzer, right? Where (laughs) I (laughs) will give the quizzer the benefit of the doubt if they are just obviously saying stuff to help them think. And again, see, this is all judgment by me. Um, And obviously they're not trying to game the answer, right? And give me, drop in a proper proper down that could be the answer, then I just, you know, I basically ignore it.
0: Right. But what if what happens if I jump and I start saying if and I, I start saying like, oh, wait, I can't remember this. I'm getting confused. Wait, is this from Hebrews? And I start quoting a couple of words from Hebrews. And then I realize like, no, wait, that was Hebrews. And I switch back to Matthew. Technically, I said the words that were in Hebrews. So I'm out of context, right? Um yes and you would count me out of context? Um, probably. Even if I said, "Wait a minute, what's the one from Hebrews?" and I then quote the one from Hebrews and say, "Okay, that was from Hebrews. What's the one from
1: Matthew?" I mean, I think I would apply a similar logic where if what you're saying is just not even cl- like like not even helpful to you, then you're just wasting your own time. I'm not going to call you out of context yet.
0: Yeah, but by what nothing. By what
1: nothing. rule? Like, nothing.
0: yeah, I mean, there's nothing like, and that's the thing. Like, I think this is easily solved by just defining what the concept of quoting is, even vaguely, and then saying the quiz master slash answer judge shall have the latitude to interpret and shall interpret it to the best case of the quizzer, and a quizzer is right before they're incorrect, right? Sure. Um, You know, like, like, like maybe two sentences, maybe three, but probably two sentences could, could patch this and would basically not change anything we're doing and it would would conform to what I think pretty close to 100% of quiz masters are doing.
1: Sure. And it, I would really appreciate that as a quiz master, right? Because in that scenario where oh, the yeah. quizzer jumps and says, birds have dens and foxes have nests, I want specific language in the rule book that will let me rule on that without kind of squinting and saying like, well, you kind of messed it up, so I'm going to call it incorrect information and call, rule you incorrect, right? Which Exactly.
0: Or... Or the other way around, you say, well, you said the word birds first, and then somebody
1: challenges and said, but what everything they said was so super wrong, right? Right, right. And so like, kind of where the rule book doesn't say specifically what I should do, I end up doing what seems most reasonable, right? Which, yeah. which again, then, is probably what most quizmasters do. And which is also why we're generally fine with what quizmasters do and why so many quizmasters have said, I don't have a problem like making rulings in these scenarios, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly.
0: Well, we are a little bit over time here. We should kind of wrap things up. Um, Always very interesting on this topic um, and other sorts of philosophical things. So if any of you have any sort of disagreements with anything that Scott or I said, you'll probably agree with Scott and disagree with me. So we want to hear from you. Whether you agree with either one of us or disagree with either one of us, we want to hear from you. Uh, Please email us at iq at cbqz.org. Uh, any sort of thoughts or questions or feedback, we'd love to get emails there. And if uh, you, you have a particularly great argument against something that uh, we've said, we we might even quote you on the next episode. In fact, actually, very probably will quote you uh, on the next episode. You can also follow us on Twitter. Our account is at Inside Quizzing, and you can chat with us on the Bible Quizzing Slack forum, uh, Inside Quizzing, uh, in almost kind of sort of near real time. And with that, I will say thank you all for listening. And thank you, Scott.
1: Yep. Thanks to all of our listeners. And thanks, Griffin, for co-hosting.